I'm Ainsley Earhart. I'm Brett Baer. I'm Katie Pavlich, and this is the Fox News Rundown. Thursday, February 15th, 2024. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. The Republican majority in the House shrinks by a seat as a special election win in New York goes to the Democrat. Does it foreshadow or was it a one-off? Special elections are special for a reason. You can't (laughs) automatically say just because Democrats won that that's going to happen in November. And Lisa Brady, innovation to the rescue for business owners fed up with break-ins and smashing grabs. They can go home. They can feel safe. They know that their business is being protected. And I'm Jason Chaffetz. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Tom Suozzi was a Democratic congressman from New York before he lost in 2022 to Republican George Santos, who was expelled from Congress last year after being federally charged with a number of crimes, including fraud. Suozzi said his Republican opponent this time around in this special election, Mazi Pillup, stands corrected by his victory. Despite all the lies about Tom Suozzi and the squad, that he won. But Pillip may run again. We are fighters. Yes, we lost, but it doesn't mean we're going to end here. The seat was closely watched as the Republican majority in the House is already extremely tight. Now, once Swazi sworn in, the GOP will have just a two-seat majority on a party-line vote. 219 Republicans to 213 Democrats. The result is, is not something, in my view, that Democrats should celebrate too much. Think about what happened there. They spent about $15 million to win a seat that President Biden won by eight points. They won it by less than eight points. Republican House Speaker Mike Johnson reacted to Swazi's win Wednesday. Their candidate ran like a Republican. He sounded like a Republican talking about the border and immigration because everybody knows that's the top issue that is on the concern, uh, the hearts and minds of everybody. That incumbent had been a three-term member of Congress, and he had a 100% name ID and a deep family history in the district. But House Democrats did celebrate. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries said it's Republicans who should be cautious here. Hopefully they learn their lesson and actually stop playing politics and start governing for the American people. So did Swazi win because he's familiar to voters who may have felt burned after voting for the ousted Republican George Santos? Was Pillip a bit too unknown? Did Swazi just run a good campaign? Look, the Democrats' best decision in this race was nominating a moderate who even took on his own party's progressives on issues from the border to Israel to crime. Josh Krasauer is Fox News Radio's political analyst. He not only was a moderate, but he actually challenged his, his party's left and had a voting record to really back his his comments up. Mm. So that, that was a huge political asset. Uh, Republicans had been sweeping almost every election since 2020 in Long Island, in Nassau County. So it was a big win for for, for Tom Suozzi. It wasn't just an outright win, it was an eight-point win. So it, it goes to show that having a moderate record, taking on the extremes within your own party, that, that carries a lot of political benefits. At the same time, the Republicans nominated a, a pretty compelling candidate who's an outsider in Mozzie Pillip, but she was not particularly accessible. She didn't campaign aggressively. 
And she ended up touting sort of the the, the party line on, on a whole lot of issues when she was asked questions about her record. So she did not run the best campaign. Uh, and I think there may have been questions about, you know, where she stood uh, within the Republican Party. So I, I think the bigger factor was Swazi being a moderate and challenging uh, his, some of the, the more uh, unlikable folks in his own party. But Pillip did not run the type of campaign to really take advantage of the of the Republican momentum in this in this part of the country. Let's talk about what the result might mean nationally, because this is such a swing district. Like, can we look to this to provide any tea leaves or is this such a unique place with its own issues, with its own recent voting history? And as you just pointed out, with its own sort of desire for a moderate, maybe on both sides. And when you look at Pillup, that this was unique in the candidates here and we can't necessarily draw anything nationally. So a few things. I think special elections are special for a reason. You can't <laughs> automatically say just because Democrats won that that's going to happen in November. Uh, the turnout is going to be a lot different. Republicans are probably more likely going to show up in November. So it's, it's going to be a lot different. But uh, the fact that Republicans had been winning these low turnout elections, these local elections easily in the last couple of years and they lose by eight points, I think that is notable. I, I think it's a lesson for the White House in that you can't just say you're more moderate, but if you actually challenge the extremes in your own party, that can really give you some political dividends. That That's what Tom Suozzi did. He, he attacked the squad. He attacked Jamal Bowman by name for his conspiracy theories about 9-11. He responded. I think another lesson is that he immediately responded when he was attacked about his his comments about ICE, about border security. He came back with a rebuttal that, that I think persuaded and was satisfying to a lot of voters. So mm-hmm. you also have to respond to attacks aggressively and not let them stick. Uh, so I think there are a lot of lessons that both parties can learn. I also think for the Republicans, like the the, the challenge for Republicans now is that as the party gets a little more Trumpy, as, a, as the party's getting more MAGA, as Trump has been locking down the nomination, it's hard to get both sort of the swing voters while also turning out your base. And I think one warning sign for Republicans is that the base didn't show up in the numbers that they may have hoped for mm. uh, Democrats, I think did a better job turning out their base in this special election. And, you know, there are a lot of MAGA folks that are saying that Mozzie Pillip wasn't conservative enough, wasn't pro Trump enough to turn out the voters. But if she was more, more pro Trump, she would probably turn off even more moderate voters. So there's this really complicated thread that Republicans in swing districts and swing States are having to deal with, you know, they need to turn out the Trump base, but they also need to win swing voters. And it, it, it turned out that Pillip wasn't able to do, a whole lot of either in this election. Yeah, on a snowy day, too. So, Josh, immigration was a critical issue for this district, as it is for many around New York City. And and yet there was this poll done on voters in that district who said they trusted Pillip more on immigration than Swazi. And yet he still won. You kind of just touched on this. But does that mean anything for Republicans as they move ahead through the year campaigning on immigration? Like, is there any backlash for not voting on that border bill? Or, or does it really just, again, depend on the district? Immigration was the number one issue, certainly for Republicans in this district. Uh, but one of the things that I was sort of struck by when you look at the polling before the election, Philip didn't have the advantage you would expect on immigration. She, I think she had a nine-point lead on which candidate was best uh, in the Siena poll, uh, that which candidate was best equipped to deal with the border. And that, that's a that's a nice advantage, but it's not the kind of advantage you see that Trump has over It's not Biden. huge. 
it's not huge. So I think to, to our point earlier, I think Swazi did a good job responding to the attacks. So he Got was it. seen as a, a moderate Democrat, someone who's reasonable on, on, on the border, as opposed to other Democrats who, who have been taking heat for not not addressing the, the serious border security and migra- migration. The, the fact that you have these these migrant crises in New York City uh, causing crime, ca- causing a lot of uh, strain on social services. So I think uh, Swazi answered that that question well. But I also think Pellet didn't really. She, I think she, you know a lot of people didn't know where she stood specifically, especially when you have that big comprehensive proposal that would fund Israel, would fund Ukraine, and would have would have uh, you know really uh, frankly was one of the most conservative bills I've seen on a bipartisan basis that actually uh, would have passed and would have tightened border security. And, and a lot of Republicans and the most Republicans were against it. So, uh, you know, that that may have hurt Pellip in that she didn't really have, even though she was running as being tough on the border, it was unclear which bills and where, where she specifically stood on certain issues. Okay, Josh, let's do the math. Where are we left now in terms of the balance of power? Because it, it was, what, 219 to 213? But we've had vacancies and Santos was one of them. Now that seat is goes to the Democrats. What's our new number here? Yeah, well, we're the, the the new number and the new story, Jess, is that this is about as tight a majority, as small a majority for Mike Johnson as you can possibly imagine. Uh, he he just barely got that impeachment vote for DHS Secretary uh, Mayorkas in right by one vote uh, after failing earlier. But th- it's going to be hard to get anything through the House and any I think was it two, two now two Republicans, two or three Republicans can now scuttle any uh, any best laid plan from from the speaker. And, it, you know, the Speaker Johnson doesn't seem to want to show a whole lot of leadership in saying where he stands and getting his troops to follow his lead. So you're going to have a lot of dysfunction, a lot of chaos. You know, it's going to be hard to pass anything through this House. And and, and just a couple of Republicans can cause, uh, as we saw with Kevin McCarthy, but it's the narrow the margins are even narrower now, a whole lot of chaos in, in the lower chamber. You've pointed out that come November, we might be watching a possible House and Senate flip on the House side. First, we, you know, we have redistricting um, still, I guess, the, the fallout, I should say, from redistricting, adding uh, to the to the chaos, I guess. Right. We, we still have, I guess, what it'll be at, at least two likely Democratic seats for sure. It sounds like out of one in Louisiana, one in Alabama. And we're still waiting on on some other maps that could that could impact this. Are we looking at, at just redistricting finalization that could impact everything? Or are we just looking straight up at what you just said, that small margin? Or is it a combination of both? Well, you know, Jess, I think the, the results from last night and from Tuesday night show that the House could very well flip to the Democrats. And even even though the Senate looks very still very favorably to, to be flipping to the Republicans just because of the, the map. Um you know, the map on the Senate side is just so favorable for Republicans. And ever since Joe Manchin retired, uh, they all they need to do is win one more seat and they've got the Senate majority guaranteed. Uh, on the House side, it's a lot more complicated. Democrats show that they can win a tough seat, win a swing seat. Uh, they've been doing well in some of these lower turnout special elections. But I think uh, the fact that the Republicans are in charge in the House, that Mike Johnson has had trouble governing, and they're not able to get through popular bipartisan legislation because of uh, opposition from the right, from the activists, uh, that's not a recipe to, to winning and holding the House. So I think there's a very good chance that uh, the Senate goes Republican, but the House could go Democratic uh, in, in November. Okay, finally, Matt Rosendale has entered the Senate race in Montana how much do you think that complicates things for Republicans, many of whom, and Matt Rosendale, we should say, is a sitting congressman. Um, but 
a lot of Republicans have already backed this um, this individual, Tim Sheehy, a, a successful businessman, a Navy SEAL. I mean, this now gets a little bit messier, doesn't it? And Montana is one of those seats that um, is held right now by a Democrat, John Tester, um, and he could very well lose that seat. Yeah, look, the, the the entrance into the Senate race by Congressman Matt Rosendale is not what Republican officials in Washington, they wanted to have their favored candidate, businessman and military veteran Tim Sheehy, to kind of have a clear field and not have to deal with any other Republicans. That said, Rosendale has not been raising much money. He's not getting endorsements from even people he thought were, were going to be on his side. And Sheehy has already been on TV. He's already raising a lot of money. I still think Sheehy's a very heavy favorite to be the nominee. Uh, Rosendale has the name ID as a congressman, but doesn't um, doesn't have any signs of a, of a whole lot of life in his political operations. So, you know, it's just a nuisance. It's the, the Republicans wanted to already be focused on John Tester uh, now that we're in 2024. And instead, they're going to have to deal with uh, opposing Rosendale before they get get to the general election. So mm-hmm. it's it's a nuisance. It's not not something that they wanted to have happen, but they were pretty much resigned to that likelihood for many months because Rosendale was committed to, to running for the Senate. Very good. Josh Crosshauer, thank you so much for joining us again. <laughs> Thanks, Jess. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is Jason Chaffetz with your Fox News commentary coming up. In cities across America, a wide variety of businesses have a common problem, theft. And it's happening in various ways. Sometimes a smash and grab with multiple suspects, the kind of incidents that have prompted retailers to lock up a growing number of products. For other businesses, it's break-ins after hours, which can also leave thousands of dollars in damage in addition to the stolen merchandise. Russ Anderson owns KC Computer in Memphis, Tennessee. He's been robbed three times in less than four months, calling the most recent theft a looting by six suspects who ran in, then out, and into a car. Ran out in 45 seconds, and they took $20,000 worth of stuff. Anderson tells Fox & Friends co-host Lawrence Jones he's been sleeping in the store for the past month. This business supports my wife, myself, my family. It pays for everything we do. And more importantly, it's been around 28 years. You know, we're not gonna, I'm not going to give in to a bunch of kids that want to come and steal from us. The crime spree has led some businesses to invest in more security, and it's not always the kind you can see. That's the sound of one crime deterrent offered by Memphis-based security company Ion Technologies, which also offers other innovative solutions, including security fog, which can quickly fill a room. Started out. Definitely from a more general video surveillance standpoint. Dirk Headland is co-founder of Ion Technologies. He's also their network video surveillance integrator. And really over the years have begun to specialize in criminal deterrence and theft prevention, um, you know, using smart technology. And of course that, you know, I'd say especially within the past five years as Criminal activity has escalated, not just in Memphis, Tennessee, but all over the place. We've, uh, you know, really begun to see the demand for these these kinds of deterrence technologies, you know, really increase, you know, especially as of late. What is the main concern for these clients who come to you? Is it break-ins after hours? Is it um, things that might happen even during business hours? What are what are their top issues? 
Yeah. So I, I would say once again, it, it's, it's really been kind of, you know, constant evolution, you know, from the technology, the deterrence capabilities that have been at our, at our disposal. And really they, uh, they started with, you know, kind of the lowest hanging fruit, which is going to be after hours, um, deterrence, you know, preventing somebody from breaking in, send them packing, you know, and that could take the form of using a security fog machine, uh, what we call the sound weapon and, uh, you know, other various forms of, you know, audible deterrence and, you know, lighting the, uh, one of the major issues that it's not just Memphis, you know, it's California, it's, it's Florida, it's all over the place. Uh, you know, flash mob, smash and grab, uh, during business hours, and so people are scared. They're very fearful of, you know, anywhere from five to, in some cases here in Memphis, up to 40 people, you know, storming a business with, you know, good patrons, clients, staff, you know, trying to keep the doors open. And so where we have seen, you know, an evolution in capability and, you know, demand from the marketplace, is how do you prevent this from happening in the form of a panic button? That's something that we're seeing growing interest in, you know, especially liquor stores, jewelry stores, uh, any kind of business that, you know, has what I'll call desirable merchandise. And what does a button like that do? Does that automatically alert law enforcement? Does it alert Ion Technologies? How does that work? Essentially, it's an on-off switch, mobile on-off switch. So you press it one time, it's going to activate those deterrent measures and for as long as it takes, it could be 10 seconds, 30 seconds, send them packing, make them feel uncomfortable. Or you might have to leave it on for, you know, an indeterminate amount of time to draw a lot more, you know, outside attention to the situation. And so when that button is pressed, you know, it triggers a contact. Typically, we don't go straight to law enforcement. You know, we leave that in the hands of the client. Someone is likely already calling the police to inform them. But we do get it on the record, you know, in the form of a text message with uh, an attached screenshot, an email, you know, so on and so forth. So it, it's, it really depends on the client's needs. When you talk about things like the sound alert or the fog, <laughs> the security fog, yeah. um, right. these are things, you know, people may be less familiar with than other deterrent measures like the video surveillance. Yeah. But I guess you're, you're talking about you know, we're not talking about a little puff of smoke or, you know, a small sound. These are things that, as you say, could actually draw outside attention. So I guess um, the idea is either the sound could scare them away or the fog would either confuse them enough or blind them enough that they wouldn't be able to continue the theft. Is that the idea? Yeah, that that is correct. So I'll, uh, I'll start with, you know, we, we call it the sound weapon. You know, it's got, you know, more technical name to it. But essentially how that works, it's not like you're a, a conventional, you know, intercom or speaker system. What it's doing is actually blending together four independent frequencies that the uh, it creates total dissonance. So the human mind literally cannot turn it into white noise. So anyone can relate to, uh, you know, punching in their alarm code at, a, at their business or home and that loud alarm siren goes off. Well, eventually, you know, it just becomes white noise. You can deal with it. The human brain is incapable of dealing with uh, this particular set of tones. And so basically it uh, it forces them to leave the area. And then the fog. What is that like? Yeah. Yeah, So the uh, the security fog. And, you know, we always we always tell people, you know, it looks it looks like smoke. It's it's not smoke. It's completely, you know, harmless, innocuous. 
and it leaves no residue as well, you know, which is, which is a big deal, especially if you're talking about, uh, you know, high-end retailers selling clothes, shoes, uh, jewelry stores. You know, if you deploy a measure like that, whether it be during business hours or after, and now you've created a, you know, a full day of cleanup and you can't open your business, you know, that's, that's problematic. So it's, it's completely harmless. And essentially it can fill a space as much as, uh, what is it? 900 cubic meters all the way up to 24,000 cubic meters in less than 58 seconds. So, and it's completely configurable. This sounds like it could be expensive, <laughs> to be honest. Well, um, how you how know, much, you know, is affordability an issue, especially for small businesses? What we're talking about here, whether it's the, the sound weapon or the security fog, of course, they, they come in different flavors to accommodate, you know, various sizes of, you know, storefronts, you know, interior warehouse space. The question of how much it costs, it's, it's completely tailored, you know, to the cubic volume you know, where it needs to be deployed. If either of these systems have to be be deployed one time and they will work guaranteed because, you know, if you can't see it, you can't steal it. And if you can't hear, you can't communicate with, you know, your partners in crime and, it you know, law enforcement will be on their way. So with that being said, it only has to work one time. And generally speaking, what we have seen is it pays for itself in the, the lifetime of the system. Right, certainly compared to the loss that it's preventing, right? Depending on what the, the store is selling, for instance, um, it would be much more expensive, I guess, to to suffer those losses of merchandise. Although insurance, I guess, would come into play, right? Is, the, is there any sort of a discount that insurance companies are offering that you know of that helps um, make some of this more affordable? So I, I will say um, regarding insurance, you know, and this is this is one thing that we've seen over and over again, especially with, uh, you know, liquor stores seem to be a, a pretty hot target and will continue to be because it's easy to turn around merchandise on the black market. So they get hit with such a frequency, especially here in Memphis. Now, I can't speak to, you know, other markets at large, but I do know it's happening in, you know, St. Louis, Nashville, Little Rock, you know, in the South, for sure. A lot of these small business owners they are not filing claims with insurance because if they have to file another claim, they're going to be dropped. Wow. So yeah, they're, they're literally eating it out of pocket, you know, to the tune of, you know, $20,000 or more in some cases, when you take into account the damage to the storefront glass, roll up doors, uh, you know, loss of merchandise, opportunity costs, so on and so forth. Now I, I will say to your question regarding insurance, Lisa, in uh, in Europe, you know, the European Union and other countries around the world as as well, um, these technologies are much more mature. I mean, when it when it comes down to security fog and you know, kind of these uh, sensory deprivation type units, you know, they've been doing this for the past fifteen years, and insurance companies know about it. And in the case of Sweden, I can't speak to other countries in Europe, but I know in Sweden. There are jewelry stores that they cannot get insured unless they have these measures in place. And insurance companies in the U.S. that are providing coverage to, you know, it doesn't matter if it's a mom and pop all the way up to a Fortune 500, you know, multi-billion dollar publicly traded company. Um, insurance companies aren't even aware of these measures and what they can do. So it's really bleeding edge stuff. 
What kind of feedback have you had from clients on these technologies? Yeah. So, uh, you know, a lot of the feedback um, that that we've gotten, you know, as as you would guess, when it comes down to criminals, armed criminals, uh, flash mobs, um, you know, the the threat of violence, the the prospect of, you know, your business shutting down. There's a lot of there's a lot of fear. You know, people don't want to go to work scared. And, you know, when you put something as simple as a pendant around their neck, that they know when they press that, basically it's there to scatter the roaches, you know, is kind of the terminology that I've been using. You know, it's really brought a lot of confidence back to these business owners and, you know, their, their employees. And, you know, they can go home. They can feel safe. They know that their business is being protected. And I mean, that, that ball rolls downhill. I'm guessing that you're always working on new ways to try to prevent thefts and break-ins um, and be a deterrent for more criminal activity. Want to give yeah. us a, a sneak peek into anything? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, so one of the, you know, to kind of bring it back to the, the sound weapon, um, you know, one thing that we've been exploring to great effect, you know, especially at a, you know, high end kind of, you know, boutique retailers think selling $15,000 handbags and, you know, shoes that I'll never be able to afford probably. (laughs) So places like that, instead of people showing up to your business, smashing through the front of it and, you know, getting pushed back out, well, we're actually extending the perimeter to the exterior. So if somebody is showing up late at night to, you know, case the joint, look for, you know, weaknesses in their security. Well, basically these systems will push them away before there's ever even been damage. And in some cases, preemptively filling the interior of the business with fog. So if they were dumb enough to continue to pursue, they're not going to be able to get anything. Dirk Hedlund, co-founder of Ion Technologies. Thank you very much for your time. Likewise. Thanks, Lisa. Meet the American who taught the Tuskegee Airmen to fly. The Tuskegee Airmen soar across American military lore 80 years after the victory in World War II. The African-American pilots in the segregated army earned their wings under Charles A. Anderson. He was dubbed chief by his students. He was born on February 9, 1907 in Bryn Mawr, Pennsylvania to Iverson and Janie Anderson. He was denied the opportunities to take flying lessons due to the color of his skin. Eventually, he saved money and borrowed more from friends and family to buy his own plane at 22 years old. Anderson took lessons from a local pilot named Russell Thaw, who would go on to earn his commercial flying license in 1932. The chief is believed to be the first commercial African-American pilot in the U.S. The Tuskegee Institute hired Anderson to head its civilian pilot training program in 1940. In March of 1941, Anderson flew First Lady Eleanor Roosevelt over Alabama and helped forge a national reputation for the Tuskegee Airmen. Tuskegee Airmen quickly proved that black pilots were equally as fit for combat. Their main mission was to escort Allied bombers in raids over German targets all across Europe. Anderson took hundreds of inexperienced airmen under his wing and instilled them with the spirit to fly. Pull up a 
a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table, the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Jason Chaffetz. What's on your mind? After its second attempt, the United States House of Representatives has impeached Secretary Mayorkas. He, of course, heads up the Department of Homeland Security, which, among other things, is responsible for U.S. Customs and Border Patrol. Yes, they are the ones that are actually supposed to lock down that border. And after three years of telling the American people that the border is secure, suddenly the administration, after seeing all kinds of bad polling, has recognized that this is a political losing issue. Now that millions of people are in the country illegally, big cities, small cities, every state across the nation is now having to deal with this mass influx of people who are trying to come here to the United States. Instead of an orderly process, as our Constitution calls for, it has been nothing but an open border. I'm glad to see that the House of Representatives has impeached Secretary Marcus. They have failed to enforce the current law. And I think first and foremost, in my mind, how does the administration and Secretary Mayorkas specifically answer the question about where are the 45 to 85,000 unaccompanied minors who are in this country illegally now? Where are they? Think about it. These are six, seven eight, nine, ten-year-old boys and girls who came across this border unaccompanied. They were released into the homeland to, well, we don't know. Without that kind of accountability, how can the American people have confidence in this administration and specifically Secretary Mayorkas? He deserves to be impeached. That's what our Constitution does. It gives a co-equal voice to the United States Congress in who is hired at the highest echelons of government and also the ability to remove that person. I'm Jason Chaffetz, host of the Jason in the House podcast. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. And now, stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen ad-free on Fox News Podcasts Plus on Apple Podcasts. And Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on Amazon Music. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. 